Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as how to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcomes. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time, as it is Father's Day weekend. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. His name is Stephen M. R. Kobe. Stephen is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Kobe Link and of the Franklin Covey Trust Practice. He is a sought after and compelling keynote speaker, author, and advisor on trust, leadership, ethics, culture, and collaboration. His latest and very timely book is entitled Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Stephen. Well, good morning. Great morning to you, Greg, and to all of our listeners and viewers. What an honor to be here with you. I love this premise, thank God for Monday. <laughs> it's a wonderful expression of the hope, the optimism that we're trying to instill in our world and in our lives. So thank you for this opportunity. The honor is all ours, that's for sure. Maybe you can tell the listeners and me from what city and state you are speaking from today, please. Yes, I am in the Rocky Mountains in the state of Utah near the Sundance Ski Resort. Uh, oh. Robert Redford's place. So it's a beautiful setting, even in the spring. And I'd say, especially in the spring, it's, it's, you know, in the winter, we got great skiing, but in the spring, it's just a gorgeous environment. And uh, so delighted to be here with you all today. I hate to say you've just made the listeners and this host very, very jealous. Sounds <laughs> so beautiful out there. No question about that. Sadly, Stephen, we've only got 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking with you about this great book, about your incredible life, about your famous father as well, and now you with the great role of being a father also. So we're going to just jump right into the deep end of the pool if that's okay with you. That sounds great to me, Greg. Let's jump in. Thank you. As a foundation, Stephen, can you please first describe the characteristics of a command and control model in businesses and organizations. Command and control, what's this all about? Yeah, well, that's kind of the traditional model that we've become used to, accustomed to over the years. It's kind of emerged out of the industrial age, the old scientific management. And, and um, 
And the idea is that, you know, that uh, leaders are managers, they have position and authority, and they work efficiently to get things done, utilizing people. And, and um, but there is, it's somewhat hierarchical. It's somewhat based upon compliance. It's heavy on management. And again, not a bad thing. And it's, and it's worked over the years. Um, and you can achieve good coordination and incremental improvement and achieve efficiency kind of through a traditional hierarchical, you know, the whole idea of command and control that you're kind of directing, controlling, containing, and barking out the orders and people are following. And again, that, that was kind of the advent of scientific management of kind of organizing and structuring and command and control kind of captures the essence of it. And what's happened is we've become a little bit better at it, more advanced, more sophisticated, what I call an enlightened command and control. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, our, but our paradigm is still a little bit limited of how we see people, how we see leadership. It's, it's more, it's more, uh, artific it's more uh, mechanistic versus organic. This is so interesting and it's taking me back really. Just recently, I celebrated my 37th anniversary of graduating from beautiful Seton Hall University. And I remember going to school there in the 70s and the 80s, the late 70s, early 80s, and thinking back about organization behavior and introduction to management classes. And this is bringing back those terms that you just mentioned, command and control, a hierarchical. Now, in contrast to these, uh, and again, you've written this great book, Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. In contrast to command and control, what are some of the characteristics of a trust and inspire structure in businesses, in organizations? Absolutely. And that's kind of the purpose of this book is to say, look, command and control may have worked in the past in a different setting. But in a new world of today, this new world of work with all these forces of change that have hit us and, and um, with a, a, you know, a new workplace, work from home, work from anywhere, remote hybrid, and uh, a workforce that's so diverse with choices and options that command and control won't work. And so what I'm, what I'm saying will work and can work is trust and inspire. And the idea here is if command and control is about managing people and things, trust and inspire is about managing things and leading people. You see, people don't want to be managed. People want to be led. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. So if command and control is about efficiency, trust and inspire is about effectiveness. It can be efficient with things, but be effective with people. If command and control is about compliance, trust and inspire is about commitment, eliciting, you know, compliance is kind of following the rules. Commitment is doing the right thing. It draws deeper into sight of people. Uh, command and control, you'll, you'll achieve the coordination among silos, but trust and aspire enables us to achieve real collaboration, creative collaboration among interdependent, connected teams. And, and, and command and control is a little bit about kind of um, containing, controlling people, right? It's right in the title. But Trust and Inspire is about releasing people, unleashing them, their capabilities, their talents. It's seeing the greatness that's inside of people. And that our job as a leader is to unleash their potential, not to try to contain and control them. And finally, maybe one last contrast, if command and control is kind of about motivation, 
um, it's extrinsic, external. So I use carrot and stick motivation to, you know, more carrots, more rewards, more sticks. Does it work? Sure. As Daniel Pink said, it motivates people to want to get more rewards, but wow. I got to keep, I got to keep providing more stimuli for it. Trust and inspire is about inspiration. It's intrinsic. It's inside of people. And I'm trying to ignite the fire within and let that burn on. And, and, um, and the thing is that I think of the word inspire it comes from the Latin term inspirare, which means to breathe life into. So to inspire is to breathe life into, into people, into relationships, into teams, into cultures. And that's what trust and inspire can do. Whereas command and control often tends to suck the life out of. And so this is kind of saying, this is a new way to lead in a new world of work. Command and control doesn't work anymore as if it ever really fully did. But trust and inspire is how people want to be led and, and treated and approached. And we all tend to respond when people trust us and, and, and inspire us better than when they try to command and control us. That's the whole idea is a style of leadership that is relevant for our time, for our world today. This is so absolutely amazing, Stephen. And you may realize this, that this is very Franciscan, what you're sharing, because St. Francis of Assisi was all about freedom, all about unleashing his brothers, all about looking inside of them and seeing the good and have them see the good and then share the good uh, to uh, enhance a world that at that time was broken. And certainly now in our game made, uh, we need people to transform a world uh, that's a bit uh, falling apart. And certainly this trust and inspiration uh, is just so beautiful. Now, I'm going to ask you another question. This may be unfair, but <laughs> what are the two most critical, quote unquote, jobs to be done, if you will, for organizations? There, there might be many, but what are the two most critical, Stephen? Well, here's what I believe have become the, the two most critical jobs to be done. Any organization because of all these changes, you know, all these forces of change with people having choices and options in a new world of work, this great resignation, this great re-examination, reshuffling, it's, it's, it's speaking to this. So here's, here's how I'll describe them. The first is the need to create a high trust culture so that we can attract, retain, engage, and even inspire the best people and bring out the best in people. A high trust culture that inspires. That way we'll win this war for talent, so to speak. That way we'll win during a time of a great resignation. People will choose to be part of us because a high trust culture is like a magnet that attracts people. And, and, um, and to be inspired brings out the very best in them. And that is going to be a huge advantage for those organizations that are attractors of talent, that are magnifiers of talent, that bring out the best in people. They'll have a huge advantage in a world where people have so many choices and options and command and control just won't have that advantage. They'll lose it. Trust and Inspire will have it. So that's the first. I call that win in the workplace. And then the second epic imperative for any organization today with all these changes is the need to collaborate and innovate so that we stay relevant in a changing disruptive world. And the thing is, if we're not innovating, 
when the world is changing so fast around us, we'll fall behind and we'll become less and less relevant over time. And so we got to innovate and, and you can't innovate unless you're collaborating. So the need, the need to collaborate and innovate to stay relevant in a changing world. I call that win in the marketplace. So the two imperatives, we need to win in the workplace with our own people. We need, we need to win in the marketplace through innovation and with our partners and customers and suppliers with external stakeholders. And both are vital, but the sequence matters. The way that we're going to win in the marketplace is by first winning in the workplace, inside out. That's also St. Francis of Assisi approach. It's mm -hmm. inside out. It's, it's, it, you know, we become, we are the model. We lead through our example and through, and through, and we become that model. And if we do that internally, build a high trust culture that inspires, it becomes natural for people who you trust to go out and build trust with customers. But it would be incongruent to ask people who you don't trust to go outside and build trust with customers. So inside out, win in the workplace so that we can win in the marketplace. Those are the two imperatives of our time. This is absolutely brilliant. And you're 100% right. This is so Franciscan. And here I am in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. You're out the way, uh, certainly in that beautiful, right, uh, you know, best coast out there. And I'm curious, because I apologize, I don't know a lot about what's going on in the other half of the country, but do I perceive the great resignation? There's a lot of changes going on out there in the workplace, as well as here in New York, certainly, it sounds like. So this is happening all over the country. It's happening all over the country. It's in New York. I just was in New York. It's clearly in New York. It's in California. It's in Texas. It's in Washington. It's in Washington, D.C., um, it's, it's in Florida, it's everywhere. And it's also all around the world. We're seeing this because, you know, these, these forces of change through technology, disruption, the pace of change, the amount of change, the, the, um, the nature of work itself is changing. You know, we, we're not in the industrial age anymore. We're in a knowledge worker age or an age of collaboration and interdependence and the nature of, um, the workforce, is, the workforce has changed with so many generations, as many as five today, with completely different expectations of how they want to be led. And the nature of the workplace is changing. The whole idea of remote work or hybrid work or intentionally flexible work that maybe existed before the pandemic, but today is 10 times what it was. And, and, then, and then to have so many choices and options, these are universal forces that are hitting every organization. And that's why these imperatives are so important for everyone to build that high trust culture that inspires so that we win in the workplace with our own people. And then the need to collaborate and innovate so we stay relevant, win in the marketplace. And, and, um, and here's my main point. You can't command and control your way to a high trust culture that inspires. It won't get you there. And you can't command and control your way to real collaboration and innovation. It just doesn't work that way. But you can do it through a different style of leadership, trust and inspire. Oh. It's a new way to lead in a new world. And it'll help us achieve and win in those two imperatives. Uh, this is absolutely brilliant. And it's so interesting you talk about generations because that dovetails perfect with my next thought that I want to get from you. Is there, and it sounds like there is, but maybe you can peel the onion on this. 
Is there a generational aspect to the shifting methods of effective leadership? And if so, what is this generation aspect, please? Yes, my, my short answer is yes, there is. And at the same time, I'm also will broaden this to show you that I think this applies to all generations. But let me tell you first with yes, there is. Some of the younger generations, Gen Z and millennials, they don't want to be managed. People don't want to be managed. People want to be led. And, and, um, and, and, and the younger generations start from the premise that trust is given. Now, some of the older generations, the traditionalists, baby boomers, often start from the premise of that trust is earned. Well, who's right? They're both right. The facts are that trust is earned, but it's also given. To have trust, we need to be both trustworthy. We earn that through our character, through our competence, but we also need to be trusting. We give that. So they're both right. They come at it from different sides, but at the end of the day, they, the people need to be both trustworthy and trusting. It's just that the younger generations want to start with that and not wait until they've had to demonstrate it over time because it moves too fast. If we're waiting to trust people until they prove to us that we can trust them, we might be missing the opportunity. And the very act of extending trust to people is often what elicits the trustworthiness, where they rise to the occasion, they perform better, and they give it back. So that's one generational difference of kind of the expectation, but also this, there's a study from LRN that looked at what millennials want. It's a multi-year study, excuse me, I meant from Deloitte, a multi-year study, and they showed that millennials want and expect a collaborative leadership style from their leader where they're trusted. And when they are, they'll tend to stay. When they're not, they'll go find a place where they are. I like to put it this way, that millennials don't want to be managed. They want to be led, trusted, inspired. But here's where I would slightly change it. Not just millennials. The reality is every generation does. It's just that some of the older generations are more kind of accustomed to more the command and control style. They grew up in it. They were used to it. Sure. It's more acceptable to them. It's less acceptable to the new generations. But at the end of the day, every generation would prefer to operate with trust and inspire over command and control. It is a better way to lead. It would bring out the best in everyone, every generation. So this incredible book you've put together, Trust and Inspire, this is a retention tool. Absolutely. It's all about retention. And not just retention, but really bringing out the very best in people. The subtitle of the book is How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. So it's back to St. Francis of Assisi. It's it, you got to see, you know, if you're going to unleash the potential, you first need to see it. I love how Thoreau said, it's not what you look at, it's what you see. Hey, wow. So, so, so you see the potential. Then you communicate the potential. Why? So that others can come to see it in themselves. And you want to communicate that in a way that they can come to see it. And then you develop the potential by giving people opportunities and, and training and, and different growth and development. And then you 
unleash it. You turn it loose to accomplish the goals, the objectives, the purpose of the company. And so the whole idea, see, if, if command and control is about getting results through people, nothing wrong with that. It sounds pretty good. But at the end, at the, at the end of the day, you could push that too far where you try to milk it as much as you can and, and really just run through people sure. and just burn them out. And so people are just a means to an end. Trust and inspire is this. It's about getting results. We always need to get results. Getting results in a way that grows people. See, people are an end as well. Yes, we want to get the results and we want to grow the people. They're two ends, not just ones. People are not just a means to an end. So we're developing them and we're unleashing them and their potential. And that's the whole idea is that trust and inspire is a way to bring the greatness out that's inside of people that's often dormant, often hidden, and, and that they need, we need leaders that can see it, communicate it, develop it, and unleash it. And this is a book about how to do just that. Oh, just, just incredible, no doubt about it. Now, you mentioned in the book that there are three stewardships. Can you briefly share with us, please, Stephen, what are these three stewardships? Yes, um, here's, here's what they are. It's very simple. You model, you trust, and you inspire. See, modeling is the first stewardship. Trusting, the second. Inspiring, the third. Modeling is who we are. Trusting is how we lead. Inspiring is connecting to why this matters. Connecting to why and connecting with people as well. And if you think about it, see, I use the word stewardship um, very um, specifically that, that a stewardship, that leadership itself is stewardship. It's not rights, it's responsibilities. Oh. Implicit responsibilities that are inherent in the very act of, of leading. And so these are, you know, too often we focus on the rights and the position and, and stewardship is saying, no, these are responsibilities and the influence. And so these are, responsibilities that we have implicit in leadership. If I'm going to lead people, I need to model for them the behavior that I would like to see and that they would like to see. I also need to trust people. So I bring out their potential and their greatness and believe in them and help them come to believe in themselves. And I need to inspire others. These are stewardships. I like to say a stewardship is a job with a trust. Here's three jobs with a trust to be a model, to trust others, and to inspire them. And they're all learnable skills and competencies that we can get good at. And that's inspiring, to model, to trust, and to inspire. Ah, that's so terrific. Now, one of the things I used to do in my 30 years of big pharmaceuticals and still do today in higher education is some organization development work, plan change, trying to take the organization from point A to point B, I can imagine there's gotta be some difficulties or challenges facing an organization wanting to go from a command and control paradigm to this trust and inspire model. Is there a really big challenge that you'd like to share with the audience today, please, Steve? Absolutely, yeah, you've identified it really well, Greg, that in a sense, we all know this, that, that command and control doesn't work very well anymore. 
And yet we're still kind of trapped in it. There's data that shows that about nine out of 10 organizations are still operating in, in some version of command and control. Oh, ouch. Either an authoritarian version, but more likely an enlightened version of command and control. And maybe only one in 10 has really moved into trust and inspire. And yet I would dare venture to say that nine out of 10 of us would, are, would believe that trust and inspire is a better way to lead. Absolutely. We're, we're still kind of trapped in this whole model. Many reasons for it. One is that, you know, we're like fish who discover water last. <laughs> we're so immersed in this, we're not even aware that we're operating with command and control. It's in our language. Think, you know, span of control, chain of command, rank and file, hierarchies, you know, it's just in our language, it's, it's in our systems and structures. We rate people as high performance, high potentials, and therefore others that aren't, you know, it's, you know, so we're, we're kind of segregating among people and potential and it's just inherent in a lot of our stuff. Another is that we kind of know, but we're not doing it as much. And to know and not to do is not to know. So we've got to get into action and into doing in becoming truly trust and inspire. So these are some of the barriers, but, but I identified five common barriers to becoming, you know, that prohibit, that, that inhibit us from moving from command and control to trust and inspire. And they include things like, well, this is a good idea, but this won't work here. <laughs> you know, uh, not with my boss. <laughs> we're not in our company, uh, 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 we're not in our industry. We're a very regulation compliance-based industry. We're regulated and, and is very command and control. It won't work here. And, or maybe not in our company or maybe not in my situation because of my boss, but it's very easy to think the problem is out there. We need, what we need is models of trust and inspired leadership in any situation who those models can then become mentors. Another common one is, I don't know how, I don't know how to let go. I don't know how to extend trust in a smart way. Um, I don't know how to inspire. Um, a lot of different, you know, where we're lacking in the knowledge. Another is that there's fear-based resistance. Like, what if I lose control? Or what if I try this and it doesn't work? Oh, or, wow. You know, things like that. Or what if I've been burned before? So I've got that scar tissue that I'm really worried about. Or what if I don't get the credit in this new model of, you know, no one would admit to that, but some might deep down feel that, you know, a little bit of a scarcity mentality. Or what if I'm not quite as confident as you think I am? Maybe some version of imposter syndrome. And, you know, this, this can get in the way. And finally, I would say, maybe the biggest barrier for some is that they might say, well, command and control, you know, this is who I am. This is what I know. This is what I've been scripted in. And this is what I'm good at. This is what brought me to my, the role that I'm in. But it may have worked in the past, but it's probably not going to work very well going forward in this new world. And so the point is, we are not our, our style. We can change our style. We are a programmer, not just a program. We can write a new program. We can rescript to trust and inspire. So a lot of barriers, but each of the barriers you can overcome in becoming a trust and inspire leader. All of this makes perfect sense. But what's especially heartening, if I perceive from what you said, these are skills that can be learned. It's not like you're born with them or not born with them. Everyone Absolutely. can learn to be a trust and inspire leader. You can learn to become a trust and inspire leader. It's learnable. Each of those stewardships are learnable. And the fundamental paradigm that starts with seeing the greatness inside of people and seeing people as whole people, not just economic beings, 
but a whole person, body, heart, mind, spirit. Oh, I want to inspire, not just motivate. That's learnable. And we each can learn to become a trust and inspire leader and re-script ourselves and, and find that this is not only a better way to lead, it's a better way to live. And, and the key to becoming a trust and inspire leader is to first become a trust and inspire person. Wow. Oh, that is incredible. Time is getting a bit short, of course, okay. Stephen, but we've got some important questions. We're going to shift gears now. This is Father's Day. Before, before we shift gears, can I just give Please. you two quick, two quick examples? Absolutely. Here, here's one. Satya Nadella and how he's turned around Microsoft. He's a trust and inspire leader. And when he came in, it was kind of viewed as that Microsoft had seen their best days, that they were in the past. And, oh. and they, were, they were losing people. They were not innovative anymore. And, and um, a local cartoonist had drawn a picture of Microsoft with a hierarchy, pyramid-shaped hierarchy with people pointing you know, weapons at each other, kind of oh like so competitive. In comes Satya Nadella. And he started with a growth mindset for everyone. So he saw the greatness in people. He modeled, he trusted, and he inspired. And he really connected to purpose and showed caring. Wow. And through his leadership style, completely revitalized Microsoft. They're, today, they're one of only two companies valued at over $2 trillion. And he turned, you know, he dramatically changed their stock price, but they began to win in the workplace, high trust culture that inspires, and win in the marketplace. Very innovative. Oh. I, saw, I saw Cheryl Batchelder do this at Popeye's Chicken, fast food franchise. And they'd gone through four CEOs in seven years. She comes in, new CEO. There'd been acrimony between the franchisees and the home office, but she's a trust and inspired leader. She comes in, she models the behavior. She goes first. She trusts people and she trusts the franchisees and she inspires by connecting with people and connecting to purpose. And sure enough, she transforms the organization. They begin to win in the workplace, win in the marketplace. Their stock price went from 11 to 79. The point is you can literally revitalize organizations, teams, and cultures through this kind of leadership. And there's leaders everywhere that are doing them. We need more of them, but they're all around us. And I hope that our listeners and viewers see themselves as becoming, being able to become that kind of leader. Based on what you're sharing today, you're inspiring me and I'm sure our listeners as well. There's no doubt about it. It's being a Popeye's, they're all over Brooklyn, all over South Orange. They're yeah. all over the place. There's no right. doubt about that. This being Father's Day weekend, you have a very, very famous father who uh, has left us, but left an incredible legacy, certainly uh, Stephen Covey. What are some of the leadership qualities that he demonstrated that has just clearly inspired you as you are, Stephen? You know, every single one of his uh, books and the principles behind them, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, First Things First, Principles of Leadership, I will say this, that my father um, really was a great teacher of these principles. He really believed it, but he also lived it. And maybe the, maybe the best tribute I could pay my father who passed away about a decade ago, the best tribute I could pay him is also the most accurate tribute is this, that as good as my father was, in public, as a speaker, as an author, and he was very, very good. Oh, absolutely. As good as he was in public, 
he was even better in private. Oh my goodness. As a husband to my mother, as a father to us kids, he was who you thought he was. See, the source of his power was his integrity, is that he genuinely believed this and, and did his best to live it. Sometimes I've seen people that are really powerful and great presenters then go on a stage and just wow the audience. And then they walk off stage and they're almost like a different person. Well, my father was good on stage, very good, outstanding on stage. And he was even better off stage with how he treated everyone, the respect, the kindness, the listening. He showed everyone. So that's really the kindest and most accurate tribute I can pay. It is also really the source of his power is that as good as my father was in public, he was even oh. better in private. He was who you thought he was. You don't hear that often from children. That's for sure. What a, what a tribute. That's for sure. Now, you've been blessed, I understand, with your own children. Yes. Have you incorporated these elements into the relationships with your own children? If so, how have you been able to do that, Stephen? I certainly have tried, Greg. <laughs> I've, I've tried to continue the green and clean legacy where my father you know, oh, had, wow. empowered me as a young seven-year-old boy to take care of our lawn. I tried to do the same with my children. And, and I've got five beautiful children. And, oh, and, my goodness. Uh, so I've got, a, I've got a whole, you know, whole wonderful family. And, and um, I've done my best. But here's what I've really tried to do. And again, I don't present myself as a perfect model. I, I struggle like everybody and I, and I fall short. But um, what I really try to do is, again, similar with the basic premise of this book. I'm trying to see the potential in each of my children and then communicate it in such a way that they can come to see it in themselves and then to develop it and unleash it. I want them to become all that they're capable of becoming. And if I don't see that in them as their parent, who will? And I want to be the one that does to be their biggest champion and advocate and to affirm them and to believe in them and to help them come to believe in themselves. And I see that is the ultimate act of parenting and of leadership, really, is and my father described it this way, to, to see and communicate people's worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. And that's what I'm trying to do with each of my five children. And I, I fall short, but I come back to it time and again to help do that. That, in my mind, is being a good parent and being a good leader. What a bunch of nuggets there for fathers. What great gifts you've given fathers and everyone on this Father's Day weekend. We've saved, Stephen, the most important question for last. From where can our loyal listeners purchase, trust, and inspire? How truly great leaders unleash greatness in others? And how can they best follow you, please? Yes. Well, you can purchase it in bookstores everywhere. You can go to Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Trust and Inspire, the hardcover edition is out. It's available everywhere. You can also go to trustandinspire.com and there's some tools and resources there. And then you can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, at Stephen M. R. Covey, on Facebook. And, and um, love to have you follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow me. And, um, and really, what I, I invite our, our listeners and viewers to 
to join me and you, Greg, and, and countless others to help bring about a renaissance of both trust and inspiration in our world. I know that's a big part of this show. Thank God for Monday is the whole idea of, you know, inspiring listeners to take that personal responsibility for their professional satisfaction, to bring about hope and healing and peace. But is this whole idea of inspiring. And I think that that's where leadership is going towards inspiration. And, and, um, and there is the inspiration is even higher than engagement, but another frontier, inspiration. And so um, we need leaders that do this. And if we all think back of people in our lives, maybe parents or family members or leaders that, who trusted and inspired us and what that did to us, my dad, certainly for me, and, and um, I'll bet most of us have had at least someone like that. Think through that, what that did to you, and ask yourself this question. For whom can you be that kind of person? For whom can you become a trust and inspire leader for another in your life and see what you can do to help them, maybe with your own children on this uh, Father's Day as we celebrate this weekend, or for others, or for grandfathers or uncles or Mother's Day and, and you know, being an aunt and whoever, wherever you're coming from, the idea of what if, just like we've had trust inspired leaders in our lives, what if we could be that kind of leader for others? And so I invite each of our listeners, find at least one relationship for, that you identify and say, you know what, I want to become a trust inspired leader. And if you can do it with one, you could do it with another. And to get together collectively, we'll begin to bring about a renaissance of both trust and inspiration, which I know you're all about. Well, I certainly try to be, but you have given so much guidance and incredible perspective, Stephen, today, uh, starting Monday morning. I'm going to be much more intentional with my staff, trusting, uh, inspiring, and naturally with the students with whom I interact as well. A listener's no excuse. This book is all over the place. Uh, certainly, you can order one still today as a Father's Day gift for tomorrow. Uh, certainly, buy one for yourself. Buy one for dad, buy one for someone else, a nephew, niece, whomever, because indeed, uh, we need much more trust and inspiration in the workplace. We need leaders, as uh, Stephen have been talking about, who are going to trust and inspire, no question about that. Stephen and Mark Hubby, we can't thank you enough on this Father's Day weekend. Uh, you've given us such great inspiration. You've enlightened us, yes, but the inspiration has been wonderful Continued success, joy, and with your wonderful five children, we wish you a very, very blessed Father's Day weekend. And we certainly hold the memory of your wonderful late father uh, in our hearts as well. Uh, I loved The Seven Habits and so many of his other books, certainly. So the legacy continues in you. There's no question about that. Thank you so much, Greg. What an honor to be with you. And I appreciate those kind words you've expressed with me and about my father on this Father's Day. Uh, the honor has been all ours. Listeners, so before we uh, sign off for the weekend, certainly, we want to close with a special prayer for my late father, for Stephen's late father, and all the fathers, whether they're living or deceased, as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Brooklyn, 
pray for all the dads, living and deceased. Amen. Listeners, once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Stephen does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday, have a great Father's Day weekend and enjoy your week.